We can expand the identity of the prospect, of the customer, of the team member, of the leader, of anybody by telling them enough good stories that they resonate with. Leading Matters with Joel Caparelli. So glad that you've joined me today for this episode of Leading Matters, my guest, and as always, I'll introduce her more formally when we begin the conversation, but my guest is Christine Comaford. She is the author of a book called Smart Tribes, How Teams Become Brilliant Together, and it is a fantastic, it's a great book. It's basically a emotional intelligence playbook, but not in a inaccessible sort of theoretical way, but a very tangible habit-forming and building sort of way. The conversation's broad-reaching. I try to always keep these things down to a half an hour. I might have gotten a little bit over because I was really enjoying what Christine had to say. So much packed in here if you're a leader. So much packed in here if you're running your own business, if you're a solopreneur, if you're an individual contributor, if you're leading a team, if you're leading a large business, if you're the CEO of a small, medium, large business, whoever you are, you're going to absolutely positively come away with some actions here. And I hope one of those actions is to go out and get Christine's book. So enough from me. You're going to love the conversation. Please let me know what you thought of it. If you like it, as always, please share it up or hit iTunes and give it a good review. Now, my conversation with Christine Comerford. My guest today helps mid-size and Fortune 1000 companies navigate growth and change. But she is not your average corporate consultant. No, she is an expert in human behavior and applied neuroscience. Bill Gates has called her a professional with super high bandwidth. Former President Clinton has thanked her for fostering entrepreneurship. And Newsweek has said that she is the person that you want to partner with. She has consulted to two White Houses, built and sold five of her own businesses, and has helped more than 50 clients exit their businesses at record high valuations. She writes for Forbes and is the author of Rules for Renegades and most recently the book Smart Tribes, How Teams Become Brilliant Together. She is Christine Comford, and I am absolutely thrilled to have her on the show. Christine, welcome to Leading Matters. Thank you so much, Joel. It's awesome to be here. Um, you know, Christine, I got to tell you, I loved, loved, loved the book. I loved it, and I can't wait to uh, recommend it to uh, to to you know the people that I work with. Matter of fact, if you're listening now, go pick up and, and uh, read Smart Tribes. But for the benefit of my audience um, who maybe has not had the pleasure of reading the book, can you explain what it's about and why anyone who cares about how they lead should pick it up? Yes, yes, Joel. So here's the thing. We all want to do great by our people, but very often, unintentionally, leaders actually guide people into a state that we call critter state, fight, flight, freeze, safe or not, Um, and we do that unintentionally. So Smart Tribes helps leaders understand how to guide people into the best part of their brain, what we call the smart state, when the key three parts of the brain are working together and we are not shut down by fight, flight, freeze, you know, excessive stress, et cetera. Here's the thing. The world is full of change. The world is full of uncertainty. The world is moving faster than ever before. So there's going to be natural stressors. So if leaders can learn just a few easy but very potent tools, they can guide their people to levels of performance that are previously unheard of. Our clients get 35 to 50% more productivity from their people with 
67 to 100% more emotional engagement. And Joel, people aren't burning out. People aren't taking sick days. People have good attitudes. So it's, it's our great good fortune, if you will, our privilege as leaders to learn these tools to guide our people to, frankly, greater fulfillment at work and in life. Yeah, that's, I think that's an excellent summation, right? Because it reads like a playbook uh, of how you kind of uh, tackle these difficult issues, especially in today's day and age with the, the way that media is flowing and the way we receive our information. So I loved it. But Christine, one of the reasons I asked you on the show is because I came across one of your Forbes articles with the headline of Why Leaders Need to Be Great Storytellers. And I'm going to link this story up in the show notes. But listen, indulge me for a moment as I read the audience, just the lead of that story, because it, it really grabbed me. And that's what uh, motivated me to reach out and it reads like this we've all seen them emotionally flat presentations emotionally devoid corporate mission vision and value statements that are simply wall art they are not remarkable and even if the team has asked been asked to memorize them even recite them but if you ask them what they mean you'll get blank stares and listen i talk a lot about mission values and purpose in the show and how leaders can help their teams uh, internalize those and, and adopt them as their own uh, but talk to me about the importance of story and, and, and why leaders can connect and engage with their workforce and their marketplace through story. Ah, good, good. Okay, so for starters, everybody listening, think about one of the most powerful, memorable experiences of your life. And if you think about one or more of the most memorable experiences of your life, I will guarantee you they are that memory is tied to either a very strong positive or a very strong negative emotion. The hippocampus, the part of our brain that governs learning and memory, if leaders understand the importance of emotion and emotional mission, vision, values, and getting people emotionally engaged, that is how we remember stuff. When our messages are emotional, they drop into our hippocampus, we remember them, we learn those values, we remember those values, we hang on, and we feel connected to those values and the mission and the story if the leader develops it and and delivers it in a very compelling way. So here's what's happening when you tell a story, and it can be a short story. Here, let me tell you one right now. Um, General Patton, Battle of the Bulge. Eisenhower reaches out to him and says, how goes the war? Patton says, the men are starving. We're nearly out of food. Um, the weather has been miserable and the men are freezing. We're almost out of ammunition and we are surrounded by the enemy. I've decided to launch an attack. What did he have to believe? You know, Patton had to believe, damn the torpedoes, we can do this, we're bigger than this challenge, etc. So storytelling, even if it's a short little metaphor like I just gave, uh -huh. which is a great metaphor for rising up, storytelling helps us talk to four parts of the brain. First, we get neural coupling. That's where we have the experience of, ah, I can relate to that story. That is similar to a part, to a time in my life when I had to rise up. We get mirroring. We watch the leader. We see the emotion coming out of the leader, and we then start to feel good as well. Dopamine. The brain releases dopamine into the system when it experiences emotionally charged events and stories. And then cortical activity. When we're processing those facts, when we're thinking about, hmm, what does this all mean, we feel more engaged because now we're working through it. Make sense? You know, it, not only does it make sense, what I love about it is that 
you know, there's so much written today about content and story and things like that, but you make the scientific case for it, right? This is, this is how our brains are kind of wired. You, you know what I, I'm, I'm curious about, and I, I, I indulge me again for just a moment, but, you know, I'm a marketing professional by, by trade, and uh, I was reading um, a report on content marketing that, that HubSpot put out recently, and there was a huge gap in the report where marketers believe that the leads that they generate are actually helping sales the best. But if you ask the sales team, they're saying, well, actually, we're better at getting prospects into our, our, our process and our pipeline ourselves. We only use your leads about maybe 20% of the time. So that's a huge disconnect in this age of using content to engage our marketplace, right? So what I love about what you're suggesting is is with that that reality, that statistic in that particular profession in mind, is this an area, because this is how we're wired as human beings, is it an area for marketing to be a little bit more aggressive with the story they're helping sales tell their prospects? Absolutely. Absolutely. Really good point, Joel. Um, We can reach and get people connected, get them to act, get them to convert, and then get them to be vibrant evangelistic tribe members by expanding their identity. This is important. We can expand the identity of the prospect, of the customer, of the team member, of the leader, of anybody by telling them enough good stories that they resonate with. We all know deep, deep, deep inside that we can do more, be more, shine more brightly. But often, most of us didn't get the memo. <laughs> most of us weren't <laughs> raised, you know, by parents that put sticky notes all over the house saying, you're awesome. You know, yeah. you know, we got the message that we were okay, but we didn't get the message that we're remarkable. It's our opportunity to help people rise up and see new vantage points, if you will, new possibilities. And story is a great way to do that because it's talked so deeply to the brain. Yeah, you know, I listen again. I, this is a big part of what I, I again why I had you on the show because I, I I see it again and again that if I'm able to identify and tell my story in a real tangible way, that you know the success just kind of comes along with it. Not that it's easy, but it just it just is a good methodology, right? But what do you do and what do you say to your clients if they don't know what their story is? I mean, where and they don't know where to begin. I mean, what's the first suggestion? I know you have a couple, couple good acronyms in the book, but I'm just curious as to what you would recommend for somebody that's not read the book or or is just curious about getting into this idea of story to push their marketplace narrative engage with their customers where would they begin yeah so let's first um look at um what's the purpose so martin luther king didn't say you know i have an idea might be kind of a lame idea (laughs) he said i have a dream you know and it's a big glorious beautiful dream so the question is why are you here if you weren't here would the world notice? Mm. So what, what's the point? What are we doing here? Like at our company, we are fully committed to helping create a million smart tribes by the end of 2020. The more people in your company that are in their smart state, all key three parts of the brain firing on all cylinders, the more we have what's called a smart tribe. Smart tribes perform better, the people are happier, they stick around longer, etc. cetera. Mm. So that's kind of w- what gets us up in the morning is let's, remove fear from the workplace. Let's create a million smart tribes. So what's the big thing that you're doing that's making a dent in the universe? 
that you know what else it, it reminds me of your I think it was chapter five where you get into a really detailed plan for establishing and measuring accountability at very discrete levels right right so and, and what I found interesting about it was wow you know this is it, it's not for the faint of heart it's like it's, if you're committed to accountability then you have to do it the right way and that you have to uh, make sure you're measuring against the right things do you think that guilt that leaders are kind of sometimes maybe guilty of assuming that they need only half the equation of accountability but kind of shy away from the hard work of measuring it and course correcting along the way yes yes you know if the leader says okay you know here's what i need your help with and they're very explicit and the owner if you will the acceptor of the accountability says yep i get it and then just like you said here's the third step there's rewards or consequences if we don't follow through. You know, that's how we get that high accountability. But so often we'll assign something, we won't set up a structure for measuring it, and then we'll be surprised when people drop the ball. And we won't often sit down with them and say, dude, you know, hmm. what happened? How are you? You know, what, what happened with this accountability? We don't follow through because we're uncomfortable holding people accountable or having anything that seems like it could be a conflict. Christine, I'm curious if you're paying attention to kind of the new wave of HR applications today, because they seem to me, and I'll, I'll give you an analogy, you know, CRM, uh, you know, kind of came about because it was trying to serve sales management. But now there's a wave of CRM applications that are getting back to the idea of sales, you know, serving the salesperson. I see the same kind of thing happening in HR, where HR systems developed because of the necessity of managing a workforce and all the details that are required there. But it seems that there's a wave of technology coming along that are giving HR leaders the power to truly connect and engage and develop their workforce. I'm curious if you if you've seen the same thing and if that's part of this this idea of leaders wanting to be better engaged with their workforce. Um, yes. So like Quantum Workplace, you know, has some good tools. And we wrote a, a blog recently about performance management is out, performance motivation is in. Here's the whole thing. Step one, we have to get people speaking honestly and openly and kindly. You know, we can use radical candor. We can, we can use feedback frames, which I'll go over in one sec. But first, we actually have to start giving people feedback, whether we use a tool or not. Second, then we can use the tools, but I still find often the vast majority of leaders we meet don't use a basic feedback frame. Here it is. What's working is, bing, 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 give them two, three examples. And what I'd like to see more of is bong, bong, bong. You know, so we do equal amounts of what's working is, and then what I'd like to see more of is. And if you really need to see more of that stuff, you can say, and what I need to see more of is bong, bong, bong. Mm -hmm. And then stop talking. So many of us were trained in ineffective feedback, which is you're awesome, but you're not totally awesome here. But you're awesome because I feel so weird giving you feedback. <laughs> and you know, that just messed it all up. You know, if we can let them load up the positive pictures, load up and map what we need to see more of and then stop talking and let their brain go bing, 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 got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. You know, it, uh, so much is written about the generational differences, right? And I almost get mm. weary of reading about, you know, this about millennials and that about millennials because to me, I always see it as it's not necessarily a, 
a generational divide as it is a, hey, the communication landscape shifted dramatically over the last 10 years and the way we kind of consume that information, have access to it, has changed everybody's perception and, and perspective on how they do their jobs, how they you know improve their career development. I mean, do you think, I mean, again, am I kind of off the reservation there as far as of, of it's more of a, a communication discussion rather than a generational divide? Because I think everyone wants to be purpose motivated and that we're kind of coming to that realization today because the way we consume media and information is is so much more accessible to us today than ever before um okay there's a few things that that was a lot so <laughs> let's <laughs> let's unpack let's unpack that for a sec um there is a i think we all um want to shift and and get rid of the old remnants of command and control because you and I both know business used to be command and control. I'm the boss. What I say goes, shut up and just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of order giving, you know, building a lot of order takers who didn't really think. The brain needs to do two things at work no matter what. It needs to have insights, its own insights, not the boss's insights handed you know, off on a silver platter. So we need to have our own insights. That engages us because it's our idea. We need to have um, aspiration. Yeah, we're cold and hungry now, but we're heading to this amazing place. Keyword, together. The word together conveys rich, beautiful levels of safety, belonging, mattering. The more safety, belonging, mattering we have in a culture, the higher the performance is, which is why we do SBM indexes with our clients. But let's just look for a sec at emotional intelligence because it's very interesting. So emotional intelligence, Think everybody just think of like four boxes. And I'm going to go clockwise um, starting at the left, four boxes. There's self-awareness, self-management, relationship management, social awareness. And here's what I find. This is a gross generalization. Um, The generations before um, uh, the the millennials um, had higher degrees of self-awareness. We're a little bit more aware of our own behavior. I find the millennials have higher degrees of social awareness. They have higher priority on relationship management. We have higher priority, the younger generations, on self-management. Mm-hmm. So there, there's like this self-focus and then there's this other focus. And actually together we need to be a blended balance because the millennials aren't as self-aware. They're more externally focused, more let's make a difference in the world. But we need to help them look at their own behaviors and how their behaviors get in the way of that. And then we need to help their leaders get more sensitive to the social awareness and the relationship management. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. And I'm curious, and I, I, I'm especially, look, we're recording this a week after the presidential election, and there's been so many different reactions to it, and I don't want to get into the politics of it, certainly, but I am curious about leadership in general. Some leaders have taken a partisan kind of approach to how they communicate. Others, matter of fact, there's a guy in Boston that I had on the show once, Art Pappas. He runs a software firm called Bullhorn. He wrote an article in Huffington Post about it yesterday, and it was more to, it was more to what you just kind of said. That's why I bring it up, that he was more... Uh, kind of complete in his realization that his workforce is incredibly diverse. There's a communication that needs to happen across generational divides, whatever the divide, the political divides, whatever there might be. And and I, I can't I can't help to think that 
that that his approach for it, you know, giving the context of your work and the way you describe it in Smart Tribes, is maybe a more um, coalescing and engaging way to talk about something as challenging as as last week's election versus a hardcore partisan approach. I mean, am I am I kind of off base on that? Do you think that's am I kind of encapsulating what you've said about the generational divides in the same sentence? Well. The, the political landscape, and I just flew home um, from St. Louis last night with a guy who almost was like, well, he wasn't raging. He started out by raging. You know? <laughs> and then I was like, dude, we're going to sit next to, next to each other for a few hours. You know? <laughs> Work with me here. You know? um, I think we need to let people be self-expressed, but, but, but our job as leaders, and I don't care if it's leaders at the home or work, is to get people focused on what they would like. There's a lot of, here's what I don't like, here's what I don't like. Our job is to get people focused on what mm. they would mm. like. Mm. Um, and creating a story around how we're going to create what we would like together. Let's go through five tips just because people like steps. It's fun. Sure. First, when you're creating a story, focus on your story customer. What's who, Who's the recipient of your story? And will whatever you're saying make sense to them? What's their world? Choose a communication vehicle that fits their context. Okay, if you're talking to parents of small children, right, deliver those stories through mommy blogs. Second, make it authentic. This is where the emotion comes in. You know, I love the way Mark Twain said, truth is stranger than fiction. Uh, yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, so start to really make it authentic. Make sure that there's emotion. None of us want to watch a movie where the hero doesn't go through any trials and tribulations. That's what makes them a hero. Um, step three, give the story movement. Take us on a journey. Take us somewhere. And step four, make it value-oriented. Give us some value and some learning out of it. And then step five, of course, test it. And when leaders are giving any sort of messages, any sort of messages, and marketers, this is beautiful. Thanks for mentioning that earlier, Joel. When marketers are delivering messages, the net-net, the short um, kind of summary is curve, C-U-R-V-E. C is for curiosity. You know, if you're telling a story, does the recipient care what happens? Mm. You know, do they really mm. want to know what happens? Um, or if you're a marketer, are they curious about what you're emailing them or, or telling them? You is for urgency. Do we have a sense of urgency of, oh, my gosh, yikes, poor hero, et cetera? Do we want to move forward? R is for relevance. Does this story make any sense to me? Is it relevant to my situation? V is for value. Does the story reflect my values? Does it deliver valuable info to me? And then E is for emotion, as we, we keep mentioning. You know, is the story funny or scary or surprising? Um, and that's what I did with the guy next to me last night. Once I just let him kind of spew and kind of work through his stuff, you know, then I shifted him to, hey, what would you like? What would you like? And there's just a few questions to use in the outcome frame that make all the difference. What would you like? something you can create and maintain. What will having that do for you? How will you feel? What will you get? Mm. How will you know when you have it? Just like goals. When people set goals, how will you know when you achieved that goal? And then the tricky question, the ego question, what a value might you risk or lose to get what you want? Oh, I might not feel as in the weeds and involved in the minutiae. Oh, we might have to stop rescuing people, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, when, where, with whom do you want it? And then what are your next steps? But we had to get people focused on the outcome as soon as possible because the problem just 
create stasis. You talk about fear versus vision in the book. You say fear mm -hmm. pushes people and vision kind of pulls people along. Do you think fear is easier than vision for people? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, our reptilian brain is wired up to keep us not dead. Interesting. You'll notice I didn't say alive. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Not dead. I like that. Big difference, yeah. right? <laughs> it's a big difference. You walk through the world, Joel. You see here see, hear, feel things. The, all that stimulus comes into your brainstem and immediately goes to your reptilian brain. So the first processing is, will this keep me dead? You, uh, you know, is this going to make me dead or not? Then it moves into your mammalian brain where we actually have a chance to, okay, now I either need to fight, flight, or flee, or be happy, or whatever. So it goes into your emotions next. And by the time it gets to your prefrontal cortex where we actually can make sense of it, and make meaning around it. Mm. It's already passed through two levels, you know, that are pretty compelling. So we have to realize that, you know, 90% of our decisions, of our behaviors are driven, keyword, are dominated by our emotional brain. This is why what you said early on is so important. We've got to make this stuff emotional because you know what? This stuff matters, you know? Leadership matters. Why we're doing what we're doing matters. Yeah, Rising up matters more now if you want to get political than ever before. Because whatever we see happening in the world that we don't feel comfortable with, let's do something about it. Let's be kinder. Let's be gentler. Let's be more compassionate. Let's let people have their own beliefs and not feel this com compulsion to judge them. You know, now is the time for us to really show up. You know, and be a leader in any level. Yeah, you know what? This is uh, it just kind of, again. This is a little bit maybe self-indulgent, self but stick with me because I'd love to hear yeah, your yeah. take on this. So I had uh, after the uh, long story short, a friend of mine uh, lives out in Vegas. We grew up together, and um, after the election, he was he was pretty upset. And I was going to text him, so I, I started to tap out this text to him because he's a good friend of mine. I know he's upset. I wanted to kind of catch up with him, but then I, I stopped. I'm like thinking, well, you know what? I, Long story short, I ended up calling him, and we ended up being on the phone for like an hour, and it was really interesting conversation because even though we grew up together, he's lived in Vegas for like the last 15 years, and we see each other maybe once every other year, so I got a whole different perspective into why he feels the way he does and why he was upset and the things he experiences and what's going on, and I realized after the fact that if I had simply relied on the text, right, I would have missed that opportunity to really hear him and understand him a little bit better, and I'm wondering if, because look, social media it seems even though we might feel like our words are going to influence somebody or or get our point across it, it seems like it's just an echo chamber that we miss that that opportunity to really engage i mean do you think that social media has a a, a responsibility in in kind of the ships passing in the night on big and important issues um yes um and here's here's the tricky part of social media so if we look at Moravian's research, we communicate in three ways, body posture, gesture, okay, vocal tone, which is 55%, vocal tone, pace, pitch, which is 38%, and only 7% are the words. However, you and I both know, Joel, that um, on social media, on texting, on emails, there is a vocal tone. We've all received an angry email, right? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> So, but we're still missing the 55%. We're still missing the vocal, the, the uh, body posture gesture, you know? So sometimes we're not really sure if somebody is kidding or being cynical or if they're angry. So, you know, it's so important. This is why videos I think are picking up um, and are so powerful too. It, it, 
we need to be with each other more. Um, we need to see each other when we communicate more. When we communicate over email and text, and we've all done it, especially over you know angry emails or emotionally charged emails, we're hiding. Mm. You know, and when people are hiding behind something, sometimes they won't be as sensitive and won't filter. So, I'm you know my next book I'm writing is about humans connecting. Because I find that we've gotten a little bit, frankly, lazy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you just nailed it. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to send him this text. And then, you know what? Why don't I just take the time to just pick up the phone? Yeah, look, I, I know I said it at the beginning, but I'm going to say it again. I, I love, I really love the book because it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's like nothing I've ever read before. It seems to me like an emotional intelligence playbook. And I've read plenty of things about an emotional intelligence, but nothing that was as, ta- as tactile as the things you suggest. I mean, was that part of the intent to give people, you know, when I was reading your book, you know what I thought of? Have you ever read uh, Charles Duhigg's um, Power of Habit? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, so and, and that's a great book, right? So I was like, wow, this is this is pretty cool because I found it to be like a great kind of amplification of what his work had had told you there. Is that hey, you could produce habits, you just have to go through the trigger, the 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 the, um, the action and the reward, right? It's like, well, shoot, you yeah. like laid it out in this book, and I I love that. What's the response been from your clients that you're kind of walking through this process? Do they do they kind of go into it kicking and screaming, or they do they see immediate action? Because I would imagine that it's not an overnight thing. It has it takes a while for them to to get the results. Yes. So um so. All of the books, and I've only written two, but my third book will be like this as well. Um, I can't stand theoretical books. They don't help. You know, they're thought-provoking, but then you're like, hey, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So Smart mm-hmm. Tribes is extremely specific, and you want to get this result? Here's exactly what you need to do. We were just working with one of our clients who experienced, who generally has been, has had the experience of 10 to 15% growth annually. Um, using Smart Tribes, and he's read, the CEO just told me he's read the book three times. He said, there's so much stuff in it, I've read it three times. He has, he has implemented everything that he's been able to in a little bit over a year. And this year, they're wrapping this year at 30, 30% growth. Wow. They have not hired a ton of extra people. What's that about? It's about taking their existing people and helping them perform at new levels. You, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm just as I was yeah. thinking about this. I had um, as you were talking earlier about performance review, and before I kind of ventured out on my own, I, I, one of the worst performance review I ever gave, and I don't mean worse for the person, just I was bad at it, right? Yeah. Uh, I wish I had read the book then, you know, because I would imagine that this the the the, the practice and the techniques and the habit building suggestions in the book really would serve every level of management and, and even even the individual contributor. I mean, is that fair to say? You know, yes, it is. And here's my experience. We're all leaders. We're either leading ourselves, we're leading others, we're leading the company, but we're all leaders. We're leading our group of friends. We're leading our aging parents through difficult decisions. You know, we're leading our spouse or significant other through challenges at work. We're all leading, all of us. It just matters, you know, it's just a matter of what's the context that you're leading in. So I really am on a mission to get everybody to see themselves as leaders because we are. Yeah, yeah no, listen, you know? I, I, I do. I, 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 I totally get it. It comes across in the book. And uh, let me ask you just one more question before we, we wrap up here. And I, what I, again, from the marketing perspective, there's so much packed in here. But I love when you talk about this idea of the meta program. 
Um, mm. and, I, and I think everybody needs to read the book to get the full meat out of it. But just for the benefit of my audience, help explain and understand what you mean by a meta program. And then what I loved about it is the examples you gave is that, listen, your prospects might be on different meta programs. Therefore, you need to communicate differently uh, depending upon where they are. So, and, and really, for the marketer, it translates into the first blush. It translates into, wow, it's more work. But I would imagine that the result of it is it's not necessarily more work. It's just different work in a more focused way. So can you explain meta programs a little bit? Mm, that's a good way to say it. Um, yes. Yeah, so this is, as you mentioned, this is really uh, rich and somewhat dense um, info. So chapter seven in Smart Tribes talks about meta programs. They were discovered by Leslie Cameron Bandler in the 80s. Meta programs are basically what are our deep fundamental motivators that cause us to act meta programs are so oh so if if like disc and myers-briggs and personality tests are the third floor of the building meta programs are the sub basement they're stuff that you don't even know that you that you are or what motivates you so as we step through meta programs we start to understand you know is somebody more motivated by getting attaining achieving or by solving problems mitigating risk preventing disaster you know as we go through all the different key there are 60 meta programs there's about four to six that make all the difference in sales marketing and leadership but as you start to understand what the meta programs are the programs that run the human being you start to understand their belief structure and the structure of their identity. That's how powerful these things are. So for instance, we took a letter that our client was sending to executives. We did a meta program profile with the salespeople because they knew best on who we really thought the met what we really thought the meta programs were of these executives. We did one, Joel, one rewrite of this letter. We sent it out. We got 10%, excuse me, 100% increased response. 100% increased response just by speaking the language of the recipient. Meta programs help you step onto uh, the map of the world of that human being, step into what it's like to be them and communicate like them so they don't have to resist you, but also so they can say, wow, that makes sense. So as a leader, it's really a great way to enroll and engage people. Uh, look, I'm glad I asked the question. I want to definitely encourage people to, to pick it up again because that for marketers and salespeople to kind of bridge that divide, I really <sighs> got a lot of meat in there, right? Because then if I am a marketer and I'm serving sales to help them tap into that, that that's going to really help them out more than my, my blind leads coming in on some demand gen program that I'm running, I think. Yep, yep, yep. Christy, I'm curious, uh, before I let you go, have you read, are you familiar with uh, Nancy Duarte? I don't think so. so no, uh, what's her work? Uh, she's... Um, she does. Uh, she's a communication specialist. She's written three books on on presentations and communication, um, and one her most recent is called Illuminate. And it's really I found it almost a great again a great kind of um, complement to what you're talking about because it's just all about story structure. So in the beginning mm. of your book, you're talking about inflection points. It, it really mm. maps to what they're saying as far as like jumping over to the next like inflection in in the business through communication and story. So and so I was curious if you, if you'd read it. You'd be you know might want to check it out. It'd be I think it's a good complement. Cool. So listen, Thank you. Oh, sure. No problem. So listen, before I let you go, where can we learn more about Smart Tribes? What should we be reading? How can we learn more about uh, Christine Comerford to uh, get all this great information from you? Thank you. So go to smarttribesinstitute.com. And if people go to smarttribesinstitute.com, they can also follow me on Twitter at Comerford. 
and C-O-M-A-F-O-R-D. And if they go to smarttribesinstitute.com and they join our tribe, we will give you very cool neuro tools once a month. You'll get our Forbes blog that comes out pretty much every week. And then now and then we do webinars on cool topics, and um, that's super helpful. We just did one on mindfulness and leadership and what mindfulness does to the brain and how it actually increases the cell density in the prefrontal cortex. So we frankly become smarter and decreases the cell density in the amygdala so we don't get as irritated and aggressive and then increases the hippocampus and our ability to learn and, and remember stuff. So we're always putting good stuff out there, smarttribesinstitute.com and the book, of course, Smart Tribes. Very good. I am. Uh, I, I'm so glad that that we uh, were able to connect. I, I love everything you're doing and everything, and everything you've shared with my audience today. And again, we've been talking with Christine Comerford. Her book, Smart Tribes: How Teams Become Brilliant Together. Uh, you're gonna love it. Pick it up. You're gonna love the book. You're gonna be thankful that you listened today. You're gonna be thankful that you picked it up. Christine, thank you so much for being my guest today on Leading Matters. Thank you, Joel. 